0: Gonna, oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, women, it's eye. Well, at least it's not an <laughs>
1: apple. Uh... Hey, guys, and welcome back to Young to Live by, the premier online outlet for depth psychology resources, giving you all the tools that you need to carry out your own individuation journey, or, in simple terms, become who you are and in today's podcast myself steve and pauline richards will be helping you bring the animus to consciousness so that you can avoid some of the pitfalls and the mistakes which might ensnare you in or ensnare other people in or again in more simple terms allowing you to wake up you must wake up Wake up love there's, there's this problem, you know, there's a dichotomy between consent and then also being able to sleep with whoever you want. Do you think in this context then the the, the the desire to go and sleep with big strong men in the club, despite the fact they're all toxically masculine, is sort of the animus orchestrating that in a way, to be like wake up, wake up, to be like wake up, wake up, to be like wake up, wake up. wake up, what,
2: wake, up wake up is a call to action, essentially the um key in the story in the blue bead story is the key to unlocking a woman's potential mm. and the idea of the uh, bleeding key the fact that the key is hemorrhaging blood is a way of keeping um of trying to to keep the woman conscious because obviously if these things weren't a little bit unpleasant then there would be a tendency to suppress or repress, the contents so in terms of the symbolism it's important that the key continues to bleed because a woman doesn't need to continue to attend to her in the world to remain conscious and thing i think we've said many times that inner and outer relationship are one of the same things so how a woman relates to herself on the inside is essentially how she'll relate to men on the outside um, and it's only by becoming conscious of that relationship that she can improve her relationship to men on the outside and maybe Avoid some of the the destructive toxic relationships relationships that you've described really Such as the the club scene and uh, getting blind drunk and mm. uh, You know end, ending up sleeping with someone who's completely inappropriate mm. So the more one is developed on the inside the less likely she is to fall prey, literally, to that kind of man. Yeah. So if you fall prey on the inside, you fall prey on the outside. It, it's a—I know it's formulaic, but that it's happens. a formula that works.
1: Well, yes. I've got a dream, actually, that I had a few nights ago. This was after we recorded the Animus podcast, which maybe you can help me with. But you were mentioning before when you had the, the key, and the key is bleeding, and then she yes. puts it in the wardrobe, and the wardrobe's bleeding, there's blood everywhere, yes. and it's not, not a very nice scene. I, I had a dream where the walls started bleeding in my own oh. in my own childhood home and it could have been you know I guess suggestion from the Bluebeard story which you told last time or it could be something else. Do you reckon the uh, the same motifs could be at work there because I was really really confused basically it's like why are the walls of my house suddenly bleeding you know mm. and especially because if the Bluebeard myth is in the context of the animus and a, and a woman. Mm. I'm obviously, as far as I'm aware, not a woman. I don't have an animus. So Mm. either of you two, do you think potentially something could be going on there?
2: Well, I don't see why not. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it's just a a symbol. It's a a way of conveying something at a very deep level. So the fact that it appears in a man's dream as opposed to a woman's dream, I I don't think that there's a difficulty there. What did it suggest for you and your dream? Oh,
1: it was—it was, it was just, just a strange, really, really strange thing. Um, yes. I, I was in my childhood house, and then this knife kept coming out of the walls. So it—it it, it was kind of similar to, to the Bluebeard thing, because yes. the walls of the house were were, yes, were bleeding. Uh, this, this. Okay. Well, ni- no no, yes. no no no, it's cool the, yes. so these knives kept coming out of the wall, walls in, in my own house yes. and I was absolutely terrified and I sort of stepped outside to call the police to come yes. get whoever this guy was hiding in the walls yes. I was like it's kind of a strange thing and then he uh, and then the, I was too scared to ask the police but as I was asking the walls then started to bleed as I asked the police then my parish priest turned up and mm-hmm. and, and, and as 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 the parish priest turned up everything became kind of better again if you, see, if you see what I mean, mm-hmm. it was kind of like I like, deferred I think- to him and the wall stopped bleeding after he came in. And that was that's, that's the general gist anyway. So it, yeah. there are a few similar themes to the Bluebeard thing, but not yeah.
2: quite, you know. Well, what, what I would say that would probably um, conjoin the two is that... The hemorrhaging of the key is really just a loss of libido. Mm. So whether it's a loss of libido to the negative anima or to the negative animus, I don't think it particularly matters. It just suggests Mm. that um, a person's life force is is caught up in something which is destructive. So it's literally bleeding away to something Mm. which is unhelpful. So whether it's a man using that kind of imagery on the inside or a woman, I don't really think matters too much okay um i know steve's just about to he's got a book here on his lap and wants to add something I to have? that
0: yeah. um thinking more broadly about your context and what you're interested in and the fact that um he said it was a, a priest <laughs> this is a catholic priest
1: he's yeah my old catholic priest from back home he's uh he's, he's he's growing more elderly as time goes on but he's been there throughout my entire life as i guess a symbol of home okay. yes
0: okay and this is this was your bedroom at home or just a room in your home, the whole house, the entire house oh, was yeah. bleeding, the whole house.
3: Okay. Wow.
0: Right. Okay. Mm. It could be a grail motif. OK. In a Christian context, because of the, the presence of the priest and because of the wider interests that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the thing that stuck out to me was the the knives coming out
1: the world. Yep. That was the scariest part, because obviously there was somebody in the walls. Did, did you get this book
0: or a version of it? I did recommend it to Celtic
1: myth and Arthurian.
0: Snap. Ah, You do, you have it. Yes. Good, Right. In, in this book or the version that you have, which is updated by the look of it, you will find a lot of um, pre-Christian Celtic mythology from Ireland and from Wales, obviously, therefore, Britain which involves castles, rooms, houses with weapons embedded in the wall, and it's all to do with the grail quest. Okay. And the testing of the hero of the grail questing knight. If you combine that with the uh, Mm. probable uh, Christian iconography to do with the the grail itself being a vessel and the blood, the blood of Christ and so forth,
1: Mm.
0: probably getting some kind of turnover in your psyche to do with your religious function in the broader sense mm. so you, you have catholic elements there and you have um, pre-catholic or pre-christian elements as well uh, and when they blend and they mix you're going to get this kind of syncretism
1: mm.
3: and
0: the kind mm. of syncretism which is illustrated in that book so bearing in mind what the discord is called
1: yes yes
0: yeah um that we work from
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what your quest is I wouldn't at all be surprised if that's some kind of reaction from your psyche to do with an interpretation on your own personal myth as it has acquired a collective myth to it. And this is something we should discuss on the Personal Myth Mm -hmm. podcast. It will take more than one to uh, to do that. But the the acquiring Mm. of a collective myth to the personal myth is not the personal myth in itself. It's the same relationship as an archetypal image locally to the archetype in itself. Mm-hmm. In other words, it can reveal it and it can conceal it. Mm. So the way into the personal wh- myth, when you're unconscious of it, sometimes can be through a collective myth that you resonate mm. with, but ultimately it will strip all of that away and you will uncover yourself. Mm. Um, and because of the other things that are going on in your life at the moment, which are more of an alchemical nature, should we say, Yes. Um, the symbolism that's in uh, Collected Works 16, the Rosarium, mm-hmm. then I would suspect, should we say, in the most benevolent of ways, that um, this, is, this is part of your own myth unfolding and a reaction from your psyche to what you've been doing in the past couple of months in particular. So leave it at that, because this is the Animus. Of
1: course, of course. And also if we go any further, it would become too personal in case there are a few other extra things, specific characters within the dream. I don't want to expose anybody or or my dream, colouring people and.
0: Remember, dream characters are taken as in with a film script. They're just actors to illustrate the script. The script itself represents a narrative. Uh, A dream that is mythic in structure will uh, reflect the underlying archetypal narrative. So even individuals that you know are really just actors who've been hired, if you like, for Mm. the dream to act out something that you can become conscious of because you know them. Yes. Obviously, you have an unfamiliar actor. Well, that's separate to that. And that requires you to think a little bit more about it. Yes. You know, so it doesn't um it doesn't prevent known and unknown actors from being complementary to one another within a dream scenario yes. we, we can come yes. back to that another time of Thank course
1: you. of course perfectly yeah yeah um well back onto the back onto the whole blue bid thing about mm. um about this being a, a a call to action i guess in terms of this key i want to we're going to frame this it's kind of a little bit confusing to me you've got Obviously, the end of the story is the brothers turn up, and the brothers take Bluebeard to pieces. Um, Yes. I'm a little bit confused about that bit, I guess, because obviously taking Bluebeards to pieces is kind of whatever that was in in her psyche. Maybe at a Mm. biological level, it's being taken apart and then reused for other further things, something like that? Yes, Uh, very much so. And so would the the brothers then be the more positive animus in her own psyche? Mm.
2: Yes, they would. And also the elder sisters as well. The fact that they're older, they're more experienced, mm. they're more, um, I guess, um, wary of Bluebeard uh, than the younger sister is. You So you see positive aspects of, of the shadow as well coming through. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the story, the sisters... You know, they're the ones who say, Yes, we can see the brothers now, they're coming. Mm. So, it's again, it's that kind of conjoining of forces of the positive aspects of a woman's shadow, as exemplified by the elder sisters, and the brothers who you know are coming as elements of the positive animus coming together and basically defeating Bluebeard. So, there's a kind of a, an inner victory over those dark destructive forces and you're quite right the idea of the the dismemberment and uh leaving bluebeard for the buzzards is about that transformation from something you know that's been destructive from one form into another so that if it, if we talk about energy libido life force then that libido is then um freed, if you like, to become something else, to be transformed into something more positive.
1: Mm, okay, and like with the hero cycle, I presume that this is something which repeats all the time, so as as one narrative, it wouldn't make much sense from a narrative perspective for example, if she yeah. then found another, like Greenbeard or Redbeard and she sort of repeated yeah. the cycle again, but as an inner drama, I guess this is something yeah. which is constantly repeating itself over the course of a woman's life.
2: Without a doubt, and, and it becomes more and more refined over a woman's life as you get, get better like anything, you get better at doing it. You get better at recognising these things coming up in yourself and where they might lead. So it allows you to be a little bit ahead of the curve. So definitely it's a recurring thing. theme. It does happen over and over again. But I think you just get better at recognising it yeah. uh, and knowing what to do about it. Yeah. Um, it's important probably to, to remember that... The Bluebeard figure is is a kind of disenfranchised figure as well in a woman's psyche. He's a, he's a failed magician. He's an outcast, so he's already been made an enemy of.
3: Mm. And
2: rather than seeing him as being an enemy, but simply uh, something that. Within a woman which is there, she can't get rid of him entirely, but something that can be changed from one form into another so she can then relate to him positively, I think is probably the most productive way of, of looking at this. Mm.
1: And I quite like the um, the as above, so below stuff or the um, yeah. the reflection of the inner and the outer as well because the whole thing with, with the sisters, maybe it's me being a bit of a softy, but it's almost like saying regardless of it being an inner drama it can also be an outer drama where if you're in a bad situation like that and you've snagged yourself there will be people there to sort of help you and you're sort of not on your own because there is there is a thing it's maybe it's a theme that we've seen in in the in the discord it's a theme we've seen in guys in in the comment section there is sort of like a tendency of individuating alone which is which is a thing it's almost like i individuate through purely introverted means by reading and i'll cultivate the alchemical fire within me
2: yes yeah. yes yeah. it's kind of meaningless to do it in a vacuum like that isn't it but mm. if we focus maybe then on on the outer for a moment and what what it means to relate to to men on the outside say as a young woman for example mm. then if a woman is is naive about her own instincts and her own intuitions and so on which which usually she is say in her say early teens and her early conditioning from her parents, from from her mother particularly, has been such that she's, every, everything is on the surface. So she's looking for obvious things, overt things rather than covert things in men. Then she will react to men in that way. She won't see the hidden, the other, what might be going on underneath. Everything's very much on the surface. And young women by and large are exuberant and full of life and, and, mm. and full of the promise of life mm. and the the promise a relationship to a man can bring. And I think it's that coupling of naivety with the desire, the deep desire for almost paradise really, of having a, a life which is pleasurable and fulfilled and so on, that is sometimes their undoing as well. Mm. Because it's, it's so seductive, isn't it? If, some, if a man, you know, in life comes along and appears to promise all those things, but the young woman concerned doesn't see beneath the surface and that man has bad intentions and she's caught up in that, in that animation and it's completely inappropriate, you can see where that's likely to go.
1: Yeah. So, what? What? In this, I mean, my, my instincts, I guess. I'm a young man. I'm yeah. not not a father yet. But say yeah. if, and I know I'm being crude by making an external yeah. drama, but of course it reflects the the inner. If my you, daughter you can't
2: separate one from the
1: other, no. Sweet. Okay. Because nothing in the
2: vacuum, does it? Of course. It just doesn't,
1: yeah. Of course. Well, just say yeah. say my daughter went and married a man with a big, big, big blue beard. My instinct yes. would be, as a father, to come in and snap it down. But there's a voice in the, in the yes. back back of my head which is going, "Isn't that?" mightn't that later on down the line make things worse in a way that rather than allowing her to i don't want to say make Hmm. make the mistake but you know gain the experience in some capacity the father just saying no you're my daughter that's almost sounds like it would do maybe not in the same way but a problem for her animus development in a different way right i don't know if that's something that you've had experience with or not in terms of what the role of the positive male Mm. positive male figure should be in stopping a woman making these quote-unquote mistakes
2: well, I think for a father to have that instinctive reaction, it's absolutely essential. Hmm. What I would add to that is that it's really the mother's role. And you see this in the story. But the mother is every bit as naive as the daughter's. She's open to being caught. She's flattered by it herself, really. And because she's caught in that way, she can't help her daughters. So how a, how a mother models what it is to be a woman for a daughter, therefore how the mother uses her own animus is absolutely essential for this. And yes, you're right, the father should come along and in that direct kind of way say, well, you know, that that, uh, I'm not happy about that guy seems completely and utterly wrong for our daughter. Mm. Uh, Nonetheless, it's the mother's role fundamentally to help a daughter to be able to hone her insight her instincts her intuition her farsight her deep sensing and knowing that that's the mother's job mm. and if she doesn't do it properly then she disenfranchises her daughter
1: mm. and
2: and that's like i say that's played out in the myth very clearly
1: Mm. And and how does the mother then? Or the best way for the mother to go ahead and do this? Would it be by sitting and talking with her, or in other words, relating better to her own daughter, so that that it's a, to she, done
2: her own work in order to be able to do that? Yeah. this is where the difficulty isn't it really? Because you can't expect every, I guess, every woman out there who has a daughter to even want to do this, or or to approach doing it. There has to be a will in the first place to examine yourself. And where women are prepared to do that, well, that, that's a gift. That's a gift to their daughters that will be with them lifelong. Yes. But so, where there's that, that's absent, then there's injury.
1: Yeah. So it's almost the, the sins of the father, but sins of the mother in, 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 in this particular yes. case, where yes. if, if she's not developed, then that mistake or maldevelopment will then pass right. on to her daughter and the mistake will then propagate down the line.
2: Yeah. Her her limitations will become her daughter's limitations.
1: Mm. Mm, okay, okay. It's obviously how the parental complexes can tie into all this stuff now and why they're so it fundamental did. for your it own did. personal individuation. Early
2: conditioning is so important, isn't it? And if, as a, a mother, you raise daughters who are naive to, to life and to the world and maybe almost live, and you see this a lot in the culture at the moment, mm. where a lot of young women are very overprotected but given a lot of freedom at the same time, it's an absolute recipe for disaster.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so in that case they're sort of the the protected princess but the pretense, protected princess oh. is able to go walk in sort of the evil pub where there's all yes. these sort of vicious men she's yes. she's yes. going to she's going to sing to yes. them instead and oh, they're going to have my yes. good intentions at heart. Yes.
2: yes. Yeah. So yeah. she falls victim then to the inner and the outer man in that situation.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, it is unconscious of the inner man. Oh, yes. As you have said. Yes. So in that sense yes yes it's, it's going to happen
2: yes it yes it's
0: inevitable it, it
2: is there is an inevitability about no. that without a doubt so the key of course is consciousness again with all these things and we talked last time about the key being a question uh, or or series of questions so it's intended to be that the woman asks herself well, what lies beneath What is it that I'm not seeing here? What is it that I feel intuitively that I'm uncomfortable with, but I don't quite know what that is. That's the beginning. They're the seeds of consciousness in a woman. And and at that moment, something very special happens, and the relationship she has to herself on the inside changes. But of course, you know, the, the thing about Bluebeard is that he doesn't want that. He doesn't want... His wife or his wives to be con- conscious. Almost hence the, the beheading as well. I mean that's the imagery of the beheading is not wasted here. Yeah. Because to head someone is to cut them off. You know, literally the head from the body, so that they don't become conscious of of his murderous intent.
1: Yes. Yeah, and I know all about the the decapitation motifs as well now. <laughs> having haunted my own dreams for well, well over a year.
2: Well, you, 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 yes, but you're well on the road to, to sorting that out and understanding that. We, we know that. You've done great work on
1: that. Yeah, it's been, been about, I'd say, a week maybe since the last decapitation dream, which is, which is pretty good. <laughs> Obviously, they were, they were every night and then you guys came in oh. and then they sort of became more sparse and I was much better. Now, hopefully, yes. they're, they're gone for good because they're not nice things to dream about being beheaded yeah, every night. But,
2: but the thing is, the fact that it persists, that's like the bleeding key again. It keeps coming back at you until you've done it and experienced it enough times to fully integrate the message yes once you've done that it'll probably stop i mean it might take other forms but but it it might stop in that form once you've actually understood it properly
1: yeah it's interesting you bring up the bleeding key because if my dream then transitioned into the bleeding walls and something like that it is it's very interesting how the stuff we will talk about on these podcasts mirrors itself in the personal life kind of you know beat for beat the universe becomes a very weird place, very interesting place, though.
2: It can be, can't it? Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, uh, the, the Bluebeard stuff's obviously very, very interesting. Um, we can either continue on and expand on that if there's anything else pertinent to discuss, or we could move on to uh, perhaps a, a very unique clip, which, of course, Steve, you've uh, you've come up with. Yes,
2: that would be good. Yes, uh, just, just a, another way of looking at the same kind of material, really, yeah. but, but a more contemporary way.
0: Would yeah you yeah I, I guess so. Um, this is Andrew Harwood Mills who is an amazing actor he is. and an unknown which is something we hope to be able to remedy. Uh, yeah. This guy is incredibly skilled. Um, for those who don't know I, I have another persona um, and another career basically which uh, involves screenwriting Um, and we have uh, we have interests from various Hollywood directors who are attached to some of our our projects. This one uh, was written to be a drama both of the anima and the animus and also of individuation and it was set in uh, the years of the end of the Roman Empire in Britain so that allowed us to bring in a lot of mythological characters as well. Uh, Andrew was reading here some years ago for the role of uh, this very 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 uh, refined um, animus figure
2: Mm.
0: he's someone who in effect has been weaponized by a negative anima in the form of a celtic goddess so he's been weaponized to target a specific woman Uh, And in order to do this, this this Celtic goddess had effectively removed his soul, made him empty, but kept the yearning to find the woman who would make him complete. And at the same time, free him from the power of the negative Mm. anima in the form of the goddess. So in that stage, he goes out to find the woman he's been deliberately targeted to find. And um, the, the four clips that we have will gradually unfold and you'll see the changing relationship Uh, to, Fortunata is the name of the woman, is a married Mm. woman, a very respectable uh, married woman, and they always make the best targets, you'll find, for demons, (laughs) respectable people, Mm. because it's only in respectable people that there's anything left to corrupt, Mm. and uh, as light attracts shade, Mm. then the nicer you are, the darker the demon that
3: will come for you. Woman, do not be afraid. The fates have brought us together. I, Lord Brian, will be your protector. You Romans, all so spoiled. But then you are just women. I, however, am a
0: man. What you have there is uh, a classic version of the Animus, completely not politically correct. Yes. Uh, and that's deliberately the case because what we're looking for is the archetype. We're not looking for something which is relatively transitory and to do with the political climate of the day. That will pass as all (coughs) political climates pass. So what we're interested in is the deep structure undercurrents that has always been there, is there now, and will be there in the future as well. So bearing in mind that you have here a man who is a prince, an Irish prince. In fact, he's based very much on a real historical character who because he was the other one, the other brother, and didn't become High King of Ireland, was obliged to go and find a kingdom for himself. And in that sense, it's very similar to the, the Greek myths. Here we ha- And the later Vikings, of course, <laughs> we have somebody going to carve out a kingdom. But he's, he's scooped up in this by this Celtic warrior goddess, Morrigan, uh, who has her own aims in mind, and then decides to target this, uh, this particular very wealthy Roman woman. Um, So in in this first scene here, she's met him in the corridor, uh, she's been captured by the way, made prisoner, tries to escape, runs around the corner and walks straight into this very tall, imposing man with piercing eyes, who paces his voice very, very carefully. And you'll notice in this clip, he has a faint Irish accent, Mm. because they were Hibernians, they were from Ireland. In later clips, that, um, that accent disappears. And this is deliberately the the case because the character of Brian has been so hollowed out by the negative anima. He's a gestalt, a kaleidoscope of all potential within men. And he can appear at one moment like an Irish guy. He can appear like a Roman Mm. senator. He can appear like a warrior, a hero, a wise man, all of them. And he drifts between these roles in relation to the woman because he's hoping the woman will determine his shape, will give him form. Now, on the reverse side of that, you then have the fact that the woman herself is struggling because she's been taken away from everything that she knows. She's married, she's got children. And suddenly there's this guy who's everything her husband isn't. He's actually very like him, just a barbarian version of him. So in many respects, he's the shadow of her husband and therefore the unrealised aspect of her animus in all of its potential. He's offering to protect her and and said that the fates have brought them together. In other words, they're fated to be together. So immediately he has this other world quality. And it's that way because he wants to penetrate deeply into this woman's psyche and sees her at the level of her soul so that she invests her entire future in this man. However transitory that relationship may be, it's her only hope for survival in a very, very dangerous and difficult world. Mm -hmm. And this guy knows this. He's been pre-programmed to do it everything this woman goes through has been pre-planned and we can think of that then as the self archetype working through the woman Um, and the self is bringing about these entanglements these external representations of the animus in a paced way so from there i think we can we can progress on
1: yeah well from what i got from that it's in contrast as well to the political climate but just in general he explicitly Mm. says i'm a man and he explicitly Mm. says that like he's her man as well for example saying woman for example. Yes. So he's, he's made this yeah. polarity distinction between them. And then he also Maybe. says, uh, you you Romans are also spoiled. And then he's yeah. like, yes, I and, and think that's when he goes in and says, I am a man. Right. So he's yes. he's um, he's yeah. differentiating himself from the crowd, which was interesting a... because it, when we were talking about that Kate Bush video last time on the spear tip yeah. of the men who are coming in, there's one who's yeah. differentiated from them. So I almost yes. got a callback to that particular video mm. in a way. He's coming forward mm. and being like, yes. I am a man.
0: Yes. Well, well, actually, there, there, I said there was one scene. I, I was focusing on the first part of that because there's actually two scenes there. And if if you watch it again, you'll see he pauses and he drifts off and he he looks up and he's accessing the second scene, which is when the woman Fortunata has been taken to, where her friends are, who she thought were her real friends. These are the women who are your frenemies, girls. These are these yes. are the women who will betray you,
2: yeah,
0: and uh, bring the negative animus out to destroy you. You know, so be careful. Mm. And then the animus in the form of Lord Brian, is there and basically says, you're all that way, actually, because the animus will turn even on the women who betray their sisters and say, you know, you're all so spoiled, Mm -hmm. but then you're just women. Mm -hmm. And then, as you say, he pushes himself forward. And this, of course, will offend women. But at the same time, the reverse of being offended is they're massively attracted Mm -hmm. to this man who would dare to do that Mm -hmm. and would push and promote the, the, um, the seductive and the powerful, and the I just don't care what you think or feel, you know, I am a man. And that is very, very archetypal and deep structure. And it goes beyond the present day, the present climate we live in, it extends into the future, but it also has a line that goes into the remote past, yes. which makes this character extremely fascinating, dangerous, something to be repelled by, but something to be attracted to. Simultaneously, whilst the, the women and Fortunata, who is the protagonist, the female protagonist, has to solve the riddle of the animus that is suddenly not only inside her head or in her fantasies, but is out there in the real world and controlling her environment and her fate.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we we'll move on to the, to the second clip. In this one, he's. I won't spoil anything, but he seems much more angry and defiant. And any of the defiance which you sense in this first scene it's much more explicitly stated.
3: They've escaped. Well, get them back! Get them back! Dead or alive, go! Callum, send our best messenger to the village. Tell the Roman general that we have his wife and child. Go. Soon Valerian, I will kill you. And I will take Fortunata as my wife.
0: We're here we have a, a very, very passionate performance, but you, you also see that he changes his accents. The, uh, the soft, lilting Hibernian is gone. Mm. And now you have the real instinctive force that is pushing through on behalf of the collective man, and therefore the collective animus, mm. that he wants this woman for his wife. And Livia, who is the daughter um, of Fortunata, has escaped with the slave who was called. He managed to spirit the, uh, the child away. And so he then sends one of his compatriots along with a message for Fortunata's husband, who is the Roman called Valerian, to say that he has his wife and child, which is the son rather than the daughter. So you're seeing here now the latent power and drive that is in this man who is seeking to complete himself because without relationship to Fortunata, he believes he will lose his soul completely and will be under the control of the negative anima in the form of this goddess, uh, Morrigan forever. So he has to win her over at all costs and he must destroy Valerian who is his rival and therefore his shadow. So you can see from this that the Animus is played out in a narrative that involves other characters. You you simply cannot abstract one yeah. figure and say that is an archetype. The archetype is the entire drama because biology anticipates through life that we move through different scenarios and we adapt or we maladapt to those scenarios. And so there's a cast around us all the time and we interact with them and they have their own drive and their own process of individuation and lifespan development. So everything is competitive, mm. everything. And the animus is competitive. It's competitive for the woman on the inside. It will defy the woman's father, it will defy the, the woman's lover, that the woman's husband. It will do anything until the woman can develop the right relationship to him. Mm. And in effect, this is what Brian wants. Brian wants to make Fortunata contact with him and free him. Yes. And of course, if she can do that, she secured herself as well. But then the other pole of the animus, the light pole of it, the positive animus, her husband is another actor in the drama who must square up against um, Lord Brian on behalf of his wife before inevitably something very, very dangerous happens to her. Mm. However much she may be seduced by this man's charm, by his power, and by the depth of his soul.
3: Livia is at large with your slave. He shall be caught and killed. Tonight, my mistress will enjoy your body. But soon, you will belong to me. A man. And you will bear me fine sons. Sons that will become kings. Oh yes, this shall come to pass. The gods themselves have promised me.
0: From the point of view of uh, the animus, this is the ultimate seduction. It's not directly physical. This is spiritual and also genetic because he's saying to her that you will bear me fine sons, sons who shall become kings. And this shall come to pass because the gods themselves have promised me. So it's fate. And he, he opens up in the first scene with the fact that the fates have brought them together. Don't be afraid fates have brought us together. I will be your protector." And then this is, this is his final play of the card. Now, with respect to the fact that the slave will be caught and killed, I I won't spoil the the story, but the slave is another aspect of the Animus, a hidden one, a positive one, that acts in the form of a psychopomp that the, uh, the woman, Fortunata, doesn't even know about. Uh, Though there are hints who who this person really is, he, his role is key, and he saved the daughter by taking her away from the negative pole of the animus. Now when the, the referral is made to tonight, my mistress will enjoy your body, but soon you will belong to me a man there 's a symbolic element of that, so do not be distracted by the more superficial sexuality that 's implied. What that is the mistress is the goddess the mistress is the negative anima and it's about the uh, the control that the negative anima has for a man over other women as it's experienced in that in that particular way so in other words Fortunata is to be if he can't have her to be absorbed back into the collective feminine just as we saw with the Kate Bush video that the man was being absorbed back into the collective masculine so whilst that's on the cards on the surface what he's saying is that you will bear me fine sons he's saying i'm excellent breeding stock uh, your children your sons will be kings you know so your genetic investment in the future should be with me and it will come to pass because the gods themselves have promised me and she's a christian and he's a pagan so immediately uh, he's picking up on her unconscious mind, the opposite to her conscious personality. It's as if the, the pagan, the raw, the deep structure, uh, unconscious aspect of the anima is saying that I can even take that away. I can remove Christianity from you and I will elevate you. I will make you the British Helen of Troy. I have come from overseas and I will take you away from this Roman general, this upstart. Who doesn't deserve you and I will carry you overseas you'll become my queen and yes. bear my children
2: do you yeah. mind if I, if I just want to that because that's actually in keeping with the Bluebeard myth as well mm. it's, it's that seductive element where she's she you know uh, the young wife will become his queen in that that's that's the promise to her yes. in that as well uh, and all the time that she's believing that he's planning her murder yeah,
3: yeah.
0: so
2: yeah, so there are parallels with mm. that as well and this idea of being elevated in a man's eyes and the, the, the promise of paradise again, really. Yeah. Uh, but like I say, with um, these destructive forces going on in the background that would, would, just, would just take her out if she didn't become conscious of what was yeah. happening. Yes. In the next
0: clip, she has become conscious of what's going to happen because she's been told that the, her husband now, the, the positive animus, has been mm. captured and that the two men, the two poles of the animus must fight to the death, and whoever wins will get the, will get Fortunata. The problem is, though, that depending on which one wins, then the children will die. And she has to choose between her husband and her children in this terrible arrangement that has been brought about by the negative anima, who has also trapped Brian who originally was a decent guy until he had his soul ripped out, literally by her psychologically, by this goddess, and then weaponised. So she knows all of this, and she's bearing this terrible thing um, and has to somehow come to terms with what to do. And when she then gets in conversation with Brian, Brian then turns on the, the, the vulnerability which is another weapon that the animus will do, another seductive weapon. Mm. And I think it's probably best if, if Andrew says
1: it. Hun- yeah, absolutely, 100%. I was going to comment, but it would actually spoil the next clip, which I do not want to happen. Woman.
3: You asked the impossible of me. I offer you and your children life. Yet you expect me to die. To save your husband. You ask me to love you more than my own life. Only the gods may I ask that to mere mortals.
0: Another um, really, really strong performance from yes. Andy the He's almost deadpan about it, but you can see the emptiness. Yeah. and the pleading to fill his soul with oh. her, so he has mm. a chance to defeat the negative anima in himself.
2: Yes. and that's what Bluebeard wants too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Stuart, No, me? no, no, not at all. Yeah. I mean, th- th- there is there is an overlap, obviously, because, it, because it's archetypal.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but in the script and in the film, when we eventually get round to filming it, which we hope will be soon, mm. um, you see this terrible drama acted out in, in a four-way encounter between the, the goddess Morrigan Fortunata, Arter, Fortunata's husband, Valerian, and Lord Brien. Um, and in that, you will see the resolution that follows and, and, and how that follows, which I hope will be very, very effective. But here you do see in those four clips, the way that the animus can play in mm-hmm. a woman's mind mm-hmm. and how historically it's turned up throughout cultures, throughout myths. It's, he's still there now. Yeah. I wanted Brian not to look like uh, a six foot five, heavily muscled barbarian with tattoos and, and huge swords. I yeah. wanted him to look like if you saw him today, walking down the street, he wouldn't be out of place. Yes. If you put him in the 19th century, he wouldn't be out of place. If You put him in the 23rd century, he wouldn't look out of place. Mm. This is an archetype, not a stereotype. Mm. They're different. Mm-hmm. And getting that across is what we're really working hard to do. And everything that we, that we write and that we create, Pauline is heavily involved in all of this, is all fundamentally Jungian psychodynamics. And it's the, the full 23 scripts that we've got now are picking up traction uh, with a lot of serious players because they can see the power. And that power is coming through from Jungian psychology. Hmm. That's what makes it work.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, with with that particular character, it's interesting because when I first when I would first watch, say, the, the very first clip in that series, my brain might go, oh, there's there could be a stereotype element here. It's kind of like the the angry man who's saying he's a man and you're you're my woman. Mm. You don't see it mm. as common anymore because of the PC climate. But then when mm. you see it shift, especially in that last clip, which is the real sort of frame shift, it's like then you sort of see what's really going on. It's almost in a weird way like he seduced me at the same time, actually. The, the, yeah. the, 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 there's like the, the strong masculine element, but actually there's a an inner brokenness on the inside, an inner desperation on, on the inside. Yeah,
2: definitely.
0: Yeah, what we were saying um, on the other podcast, I'm not sure whether it was in the, the extra material that the, you put in at the end, um, we were discussing transference and, and the depth yep. that you need to go in. If a man can access his anima at the archetypal level, you will meet instantly the animus because the anima at an archetypal level attracts the animus and it, it will turn up in your psyche in relationship to the archetypal anima so at that level you can get to know what the animus is but you do have to go deep and you do have to allow your anima as a man to become the psychopomp that will lead you into those depths and that process is a stripping away and this is what paul and i and you james working with you are, are, are trying to help people with is the mm-hmm. stripping away mm-hmm. of the superficial baggage that you get out there particularly at the moment uh, in the popular representation of young material and archetypes um it is different the real way the young to live by way mm-hmm. is a stripping away not an accumulation of things and it's allowing real nature to come through not what we might think because of our culture it is but what it really is. And when you get down to that level, you find it's already pre-populated with these characters. So when a man accesses his, his anima archetypally, then he can understand, appreciate, and relate to the animus. And at that point, you can relate to women. And the reverse is true. If a woman accesses her animus deeply enough, the anima, the collective psyche will send the anima to that deep animus, and they will bond on the inside. And that's part of the transformation, the alchemical transformation in a woman's soul and allows her to relate externally to men. Yes. So that's the message that Pauline and I are trying to get across progressively as we work through these podcasts.
1: Certainly, certainly. And it's interesting, almost a synchronicity perhaps, but that is a brilliant segue into a question I was just reminded of from the audience. From a, I believe this this particular individual is a $10 tier patron uh, and he actually asks, very very similar to what you've just said um, what boundaries make working with the animus safer in a therapeutic setting and, he, and he, he, he carries on he says i've recently made a friend of the opposite sex based on shared childhood trauma i've resolved my own trauma for the most part but she has not i think that i can help her heal herself in a similar way that i was able to heal myself but i need to go very deep into her emotions which requires a lot of trust I'm naturally able to get very close to people, but I hesitate in this case because I want our relationship to remain platonic, even though my case is a friendship, not a one-sided clinical relationship. I was hoping you'd have some advice. I just want to do whatever I can to be the person I needed, but could not find in my life when I was working through this all on my own. What boundaries could I respect to allow a deeper relationship? Wow, Stages. That, yeah, that's that, a that, heck of a question. That, that's isn't a heck of question. We yeah. should so, yeah. have the first bit
0: first, James, and then perhaps
1: Paul. Yeah. yeah. Well, the overall question which this individual asked is what boundaries make working with the animus safer in a therapeutic setting?
2: Well, I I guess to have, I mean, it doesn't have to be in a a marriage relationship like ours. But I think um, if it's a woman working with a man, I think she has to have worked on her animus in relation to other outer men in a positive way. Uh, and therefore have a a positive relationship to her own animus on the inside. It's it's really just the kind of things that that we've been discussing, um, Mm -hmm. that call to action, that call to consciousness. Because the thing about the the Bluebeard story is, and and the bit about the small key and the, the entering of the smallest room, is that the threat to the woman on the inside is that if she if she ignores that warning and she goes in, then the consequences will be that she's murdered. She's threatened with with that. And it's not allowing yourself to be put off by that, I guess, on the inside, Mm. that if you start that process of of inner inquiry, that it will ultimately lead to your destruction rather than your salvation. So you have to get that straight in your head, I think, from the get-go uh and not Mm. allow yourself to be put off by that so that's i think that's a it's a very instructive part of the story really because as women approach these things they'll they'll come across all sorts of negative suggestions on the inside to try and put them off even inquiring Mm. if you can get beyond that then some something positive and productive will come from it but you have to kind of i guess almost bite the bullet yeah. knowing that those things will be constellated in you and and you, you go ahead anyway
1: hmm. yeah it what you're speaking about it kind of reminds me that um This is the type of profession, if you want to, Lao Tsunami, if you want to go and actually be a therapist in in general, it's not a case of going and just studying a bunch of books and then getting a qualification, you know, like a stamp on your name, you become Lao Tsunami PhD in Jungian psychology or whatever else. Because, of course, the whole idea with this stuff is you aren't the own master. You aren't the master of your own house and you have these other forces, forces within you that will come out. So without experience and without developing yourself, if, if mm. i get what you're saying pauline yes. you you will fall into traps so the you idea is you need to have consciousness traps.
2: yes very much so and like i say it doesn't have to be in a kind of a conventional marriage relationship like ours you just have to be out there doing it in in some form that's instructive to you so that you don't harm anyone you don't you don't take that with you into either a therapy situation or a, or a, a personal relationship situation the Mm. the other thing that stood out for me is uh, as you were reading out the question was this idea of uh being wounded there's some difficulty with that because if you've got two people in a relationship and they're both wounded but maybe in different ways uh nonetheless those wounds can cross infect in a psychological sense so something else another pitfall really to be aware of that you might feel you're, you're assisting that person but if you haven't actually resolved your own wound Mm. then you might just be adding to their infection so just something else to be mindful of really
1: yeah well Lau said uh, i've gotten over my past trauma of course we don't know what that particular trauma is but there is there is a case of be sure that you have i guess and that it's not changed or hidden itself from you to try and
2: itself in some other way yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, well, it, it sounds like Lau has a fairly good heart from that particular question, and has a genuine yes, desire definitely. to actually want, want want to help this person. Obviously, we path, we we, we, yeah. we can't professionally uh, endorse something like this to avoid ourselves getting into trouble. But hopefully, Lau that that uh, from Stephen Pauline that actually helps. So yeah,
2: well, well we hope so. We 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 hope some of obviously yeah. what we say sticks and, yeah. and helps people personally is the whole point of doing yeah. it. Yeah. brilliant
1: well if uh, do you think there's anything else we could bring up at the end of this podcast before of course we move into episode three of this show which will be on a we haven't decided this specific topic yet but it will be more of a focused general question is there anything more either of you think would be pertinent to say on you know, as a way to close up the podcast.
2: Inevitably, with these things, you end up talking about the the, the negative pole of the anima and the animus because it's the most obvious thing, isn't mm. it? It's a, it's a thing that, that screws people up, so that that's where your attention is drawn. Um But where a woman or a man can connect positively with the anima or the animus, and then it becomes the the key to their creativity as well. So I think we should maybe do. A further podcast about that and how it manifests in a man or a woman's life, how it can assist them with their creativity, mm. with their, their inner and outer yeah. work, and uh, maybe develop on from there.
1: Mm, it's interesting. Yeah. I was asked—I uh, was asked yesterday by a guy at the Arthur's Court tier on Patreon, yes. which is my little inner circle signal group—about yes. creativity specifically and the anima and the animus. So things seem to be coming together on on the same path.
2: Yes, it's quite strange, really. Um, obviously, Steve does it through his screenwriting, which which is a you know a very sort of intensive process, it, isn't it,
0: is, it for it, you? It is. Well, Pauline actually assists in that. You know, she, she always puts herself in the background, but um, she inspires me, and and uh, the relationship I have with her has has meant that I've been able to go down into depths that. I probably couldn't have done even with clinical experience Mm. you know she had to know me on the inside for me to be able to go as deep as I have Uh, and then she complements it with artwork as well which is absolutely fantastic Um, Mm -hmm. but you probably noticed I became quite passionate then Um, and I was accessing the creative pole of my anima Mm. uh, uh, which I do when I write and I'm a method writer yes uh, which is like a method actor. Uh, the problem with it is it's emotionally draining because you have to go through everything internally that every character goes through, no matter mm. who they are, male, female, whatever, uh, animal, mineral, vegetable, everything. You <laughs> go through it a lot, um, and it's draining. Yeah. Uh, but you are also driven to do it. Yeah. Uh, and that's another reason why I feel I need someone. Well, I need Pauline obviously, mm. but someone like Pauline. Mm. Uh, to be there to to provide that stability so I can re-anchor my normal personality to...
2: When you come out of it. When when you
0: come out of it.
1: Yes, Yeah. Well, obviously your, your development with, with Pauline is obviously further along than mine with, with Jane. But I found that not in, a, not in a method writing sense. I do do my own writing, but it tends not to be method. It tends just to be a burst of inspiration comes up and then it'll be yes, yeah. absolute and utter obsession. But it, oh, it, yeah. it, it happens yeah. with, with, with work as well or something. And Jane is there, I've noticed. We were actually mm. discussing the, the other day, trying to bring things to consciousness. It's like, what do we provide for each other in the relationship? And mm. immediately what comes up is that you ground me is mm-hmm. the thing it's like she is complementarity
2: home. isn't it yeah, yeah. Complementarity that you both have yeah. yes yeah it's yes, it's, it's, it's like i go, go
1: off on, on on a horse somewhere or whatever on my own crusade and mm-hmm. i have home to come home to and if i didn't have that it would be well the crusade would never end and then the crusade yeah. would stop having a noble goal and would just start being mm-hmm. burning myself out for no particular reason so i can definitely appreciate that
0: it, mm. it takes time And people will find the right person and they will uncover the right processes in themselves. And when you work on yourself, you will change and that will draw the right person to you. So instead of um, necessarily thinking, well, I'm just here and they should come to me. Mm. If you work on yourself, that's the value of the introverted part of individuation. Mm. I don't believe that you can complete individuation fully without a social connection. You can certainly start it on the inside and you actually should because that will attract people to you because you will change Mm. and therefore don't be too despondent you know don't be impatient engage with the process and you will find that person whoever that is male or female
2: yes
0: um, or anything in between
2: there's so many ways of living an authentic life isn't there
0: absolutely many
2: many they're they're all valid they're all valid all of them
1: Yeah. yeah Yeah. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a romantic relationship, if no, I understand no, no. you correctly. No, not
2: yeah. at all. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, certainly. Well, we'll definitely do. I'd love to get, in fact, both of you to talk about your creative processes. Of course, when you were talking there, I threw up some of your artwork, Pauline. Of, of, oh no, the, did you? I, I did. I did. You... Speaking <laughs> in 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 the future, but also in the present. Of course, those things are up. I'd love to hear your creative process with that. Absolutely. Thank you. And 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 Steve as well. Your method writing stuff could make a pretty intense podcast. I, can think. I just
2: add one very last, last thing in, into the mix there, of because... you can he was saying about and he is a method writer and we have lots of boxes of kleenex yeah. in in preparation for that wow. <laughs> um, but um it yes it is draining yeah. um and drawing painting some other creative form of expression can be draining too but it's far better to be drained in that way yes. than it is to be drained negatively um both the anim and the animus have have this kind of in it in their negative form there's kind of vampiric aspect to them so they'll drain your lifeblood from you in a way that's completely negative and counterproductive yeah. so, so once you transform that and you can liberate that into something positive a lot of healing can take place a lot of good things can flow from that so
1: Certainly, certainly. Well, I guess with that, we will close up. So thank you, everybody, Good. for watching today's video. Of course, there'll be part three coming on to this very, very soon. Um, of course, if you want to, like Loud Tsunami did, ask us, a, ask us a question, you can sign up at the $10 tier or higher on Patreon. We've got other things over there as well, including joining the aforementioned uh, uh, Grail Knight Discord server, where we all go and chase the uh, the Philosopher's Stone together and of course there's ways you can chat to myself and both Steve and Pauline and I have to put a little thing in here as well if you'd like free access to the shadow integration manual there'll be a link down below it is free I've been asked before actually why is it free because you know it's 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 advanced stuff and it took a while to write and of course I'll credit yes. Steve for that it's because this yes. stuff is important basically yes. and we'd, we'd like to to, to give it, you as much as you possibly can
2: yeah and why shouldn't Ordinary people, everyday people, people have access to that. It shouldn't be for a specialised view. No. Yes. I've always believed that. We have. It's formed the basis of, of our clinical work. Yeah,
0: even before we met Franz Young yes. and even before we promised Franz that we would bring his father's work to ordinary people and we've yes. delivered on that. We will continue yes. to deliver on that. Yeah
1: absolutely absolutely and with that that very inspiring ending to the end of a very inspiring podcast thank you steve and thank you pauline i'll talk to you you. again real soon thank
0: you to andrew harwood mills oh yes you're a fantastic actor thank you
2: yes yes thank you
0: andrew thank you